Well, I don't know about you, but Thanksgiving came awfully close to Advent this year, didn't it? And, uh, I, you know, for me, I'm, I'm always working a few weeks ahead, and so I've been knee-deep, so to speak, into Advent. And, um, and so Thanksgiving, it was like, okay, I need to do Thanksgiving first. And, but then to come into Christmas, and I don't know about you, but I think the kids have been a great way to help us to start thinking again of this Advent season and what that means and what it looks like. And I love doing the candles in the Advent wreath each year. I was asked, why do we do the Advent wreath? Because we always have. And that's all right, isn't it? It's all right for there to be traditions and for there to be things that you do that you're constantly reminding you. Because the truth is, as we as we get involved in our day-to-day life and in the things that happen in our lives, it's really easy to forget hope and to forget peace and to forget joy and to forget love. And if we're not careful, we can forget Jesus in the midst of all of that. And so Advent provides us this amazing opportunity to, to hit the pause button, if you will, but as I've thought about that this year, I, I've, I've wrestled with, with something that was going on in my heart about, you know, just what could be different this year? And not because things have to be different, but something was weighing on my heart that, that maybe we could look at Advent through a different lens, somehow, some way, just differently. A couple of weeks ago, we had a... a Saturday morning where we invited people who had lost somebody close to them through death to come in and take part of Grief Share. And Grief Share is a, a ministry. They have videos. And, and so we had a morning where we looked at how do you survive the holidays if you've lost someone? And it, it, at that moment, as I saw that video, it was like, oh, that's what the Lord's been speaking into my heart, that we could, we could look at Advent and really consider what is the reason that Jesus came. Because we see the signs and we think about, you know, the truth that, that Jesus is the reason for the season, and, and that's true, and, and we like to celebrate that, and we're among the minority that still says Merry Christmas, amen. And, and so as we think of that, but, but really, what is the, the reason that Jesus came? And the last three weeks' messages have kind of been leading us to this. It's been this beautiful truth of having someone from Israel come and talk to us about how do they read the scriptures as they look at these promises, as they look forward to hope and, and to the hope of the first advent of Jesus and then the hope of the second advent. And I'm sure perhaps you understand that the word advent means appear, and so the first appearing of Christ and then thinking about what is this second appearing of Christ. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at that, and how do we begin to live our lives in light of really focusing on the second appearing of Christ? And then last week, as Rob helped us to think through, in the midst of whatever's happening, the pain and the suffering in our lives, how can we hold on to the hope that we find in the scriptures? So there's this clip from Grief Share that I'd like for you to see. And it's about two minutes. I'd just like for you to see it and begin to ask yourself if it, 
if it allows you to think of Christmas a little differently this year. When we celebrate Christmas, we are not just celebrating uh, Christ's birth uh, or his coming into the world, um, but we're celebrating uh, the reason that he came uh, and the result. If there weren't pain, suffering, sin, destruction, discouragement, and death, there would be no need for Christmas. This holiday is about suffering. This holiday is about pain. Now what we've done, and it's right to do that, we've made this a holiday of celebration because we celebrate the coming of the Messiah. But in so doing, we forget why he came. He came to end suffering. He came to end death. He came to end sin and brokenness and pain and destruction and discouragement. And so this is the sufferer's holiday. Rather than the holiday be avoided, I ought to run toward Christmas. When Jesus came to earth as a little baby that we celebrated Christmas, really what it was saying was God says the battle is on. The things that have messed up life for everyone on earth, the sin, the evil, the suffering, the pain, the loss, all those things that have just infested and plagued every person on earth. God was saying, I am here to do something about it. What Christmas tells me is there's hope for people like me that are going through what I'm going through. Christmas guarantees that God has, will, and will continue to address what I'm going through. The Sufferer's Holiday. I had never heard that before. Have you? Have you ever thought of Christmas that way before? And it's true, as we looked at this video in Grief Share, that many times when you've lost someone, the holidays become really hard. And I know for, for many of us that's the case. But at the same time, we can run to Christmas, as the video said, because God basically, as was said, the battle is on. And I love that. I love thinking that the battle is on. God has declared. We can rejoice because we know that the appearing of Jesus brings the hope that the devil's works will be destroyed. The devil's works will be destroyed. And I love thinking about that. As a matter of fact, Advent, as I said, means appearing. And there's one place in Scripture, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, where it says the reason that the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The very reason that the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And I stopped to think about what are the works of the devil? What are those and what do those look like in our world and in your life? And, and when we stop to think about the pain and the death and, the, and, and all of the, the, the discord and, 
and the sin that's in our world to realize that each one of these things are the works of the devil, that, that he has brought chaos into this creation, that, that his works are to bring all sorts of discord and violence and death. All of these are the results of sin, of the works of the devil. And Jesus appeared, amen, to destroy the works of the devil. So what does that mean for us? And how does that fill our hearts with hope as we begin to look at that and we begin to consider it? And I think one of the best places to go in Scripture to find that is this account of Simeon because his life is a life of hope. And as we look at his life of hope, we can, we can then begin to say, what would it be like for us to live with that type of hope? The first Advent candle reminds us of the hope that is found in Jesus. It signifies the hope that the devil's work will be destroyed. Biblical hope, you understand, is waiting in faith for the promises of God to be fulfilled. It's not a blind hope. It's a, it's a certainty as we look at biblical hope. So the first thing we see in this account of Simeon is that the hope for the appearing of Jesus is rooted in the past. The hope for the appearing of Jesus is rooted in the past. And it comes in knowledge of the promises of God. And we're going to see that in the life of Simeon as he begins to, to do that which God has prepared for him to do. Now just to set the stage a little bit for what's happening here, and many of us know this already, but this, this moment in time that we're looking at in Scripture would have been 40 days after Jesus was born. 40 days after Jesus was born. How do we know that? We know that because the Jewish people were keeping the laws. And in, in Leviticus chapter 12, verses 2 through 4, it said that a woman who gave birth would need to wait 40 days and then would need to go to the temple to make a sacrifice. So we know that at this point in time, Jesus is being brought to the temple by Mary and Joseph for the sacrifice that needed to be offered for Mary's purification. So she would have been coming for that, and, and when you stop to think about that, you think of what kind of anticipation would there have been for, for her and for Joseph as they were getting ready to come to the, to the temple for this important sacrifice. As we think of that, it, it reminds us of how grateful we could be for the fact that Jesus' sacrifice has made it so that, so that we don't have to have all these individual sacrifices anymore. But at this point in time, that's what was required. And Mary and Joseph, as the parents on earth that God had entrusted his son to, were very careful to keep those aspects of the law that were given to them. And so they went to the temple and, and offered the two doves, which would have been the offering that a, a family who didn't have a lot of resources would offer, a poor family. But there was a greater reason that they went to the temple that day. They went to the temple that day to dedicate their firstborn in keeping with the law in Exodus to dedicate their firstborn to the Lord, presenting him to the Lord. 
and then dedicating him to the Lord's service as had happened in 1 Samuel. Now some of you have come here and had your babies dedicated. And some of you have done that. And, and what is it like when that happens? You know, and, and you have great anticipation for that day. And you plan it well. Lots of you plan a party that happens afterwards. And that's good. And it's important. Because there's something significant that happens when we take a baby. And we say, God, we recognize and realize that this baby is life that's come from you. And so we dedicate this child back to you. And that's something significant that happens here. But for a Jewish family to do that with their firstborn son was even a greater move. It was something that they, they really looked forward to. And so this moment in time would have been this special moment as Mary and Joseph bring the baby, Jesus, to be dedicated. And that's what we step into right here. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. The first thing we're told is that this man, Simeon, was righteous and devout. He was holy and pious. He was a, a man who was given over to the Lord. He was a man who sought the Lord and sought the Lord's direction in his life and sought the Lord's guiding and leading in his life. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. From that, we can tell that he was a man who studied the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. He was a man who had looked into those, I'm sure, and had, had looked into them to find out what are the promises of God. He would have been rooted in these, in these promises that, that, that God had made in the Old Testament. It was a big promise that he was holding on to. He was holding on to this promise that there would be consolation of Israel. It was a big promise. It was an expectancy that was common at that time. It was common among many of the people of Israel. As they looked in the scriptures, as they examined the scriptures, and they found the scripture like Isaiah chapter 40, that talked about warfare being ended, and, and God says, comfort, comfort my people. Isaiah chapter 49, where he talks about Israel being restored. Sing for joy, O heavens, exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. It's speaking of it almost in the past tense, as if you're so sure it's going to happen that you can speak of it as if it already has. Isaiah 51, a chapter that talks about God comforting his people Israel. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts her all, all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the voice of song. All of these passages, and if you read, I'd encourage you to read chapter 40 of, of Isaiah and 49 and 
and read those passages and see what would have been stirring up in the people at the time as they were waiting for this Messiah to come, for the comfort to come. Because you see, they lived in a time when they were under the the emperor of Rome. And being in the Roman Empire, you know, we talk about Pax Romana, the peace that, that went over Rome, but in actuality, it was an oppressive government. And it was an impressive government that they lived under. And, and, the, and the Jewish people longed for there to be the king on their throne in the line of David that was promised. The comfort to come that was promised. And they were waiting for this Messiah. They were waiting for this truth. And Simeon is one of these men who, who is crying out for that. And he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. The big promise He could have been waiting for peace for himself. He could have been waiting for a better situation for himself. He could have been waiting for comfort for himself. But it tells us that he was waiting for comfort to come to Israel. And that's caused me to ponder, what are the promises of God? What are the promises of God that are are the promises that are fresh in my mind? What are the promises from Scripture that I read and hold and understand that God has promised he will do these things, and how am I waiting for him to fulfill those things? As I've thought about that, I've come to realize that a lot of the promises that that I hold on to, that God has, are promises that make me feel better. And that's okay, it's good. They're, they're there for that reason. But I wonder if I'm missing the bigger picture when I do that. Jesus came, First John tells us, to destroy the works of the devil. So what are the promises of Jesus destroying the works of the devil that I'm holding on to in my life? because that's what Simeon was holding on to. The second thing we see is that hope for the appearing of Jesus, while it's rooted in the past and the knowledge of the promises of God, it's held in the present. Faith in the promises of God. It's held in the present. And so in the present, Simeon was holding on to those promises of God that he had been given. He was holding on to the promises that God would bring comfort to Israel. And his faith held him to believe that it would be true and that it would come to pass. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was waiting, waiting. And it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. The Holy Spirit revealed to him that he would see the Messiah. Could you imagine what that would be like? 
Now, it doesn't tell us when he was told that. We're not even told how old Simeon was. Most of the times when we see him depicted and most of the commentaries have him as an older man. We don't know that. It's very possible he was. And so as an older man, it was revealed to him that he would not see death until he saw the Messiah. Was he like 20 when that was revealed to him? And he waited 60 years or 70 years? Or We don't know. It would all be speculation to think of that. But it was revealed to him that he would see the Messiah the Lord's Christ. And so he was waiting, knowing that that would be the consolation of Israel. It's not easy to wait, is it? I remember one Christmas when I was a kid, and we always opened our gifts on Christmas Eve. And so we'd go to church and then come home and open all our gifts. And the, the gifts were always under the tree early. And one year as a kid, I thought, I've got a great idea. I will carefully unwrap all these gifts and see what they are and then wrap them back up again and no one will ever know. Isn't that a great idea? So I did. And, and I got to see what each one of my gifts were going to be. And then Christmas came. What a bummer. I hadn't waited. And, 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 and ugh. I'm not sure it has anything to do with anything. But waiting is hard. And it's easy to lose faith, isn't it? When you're waiting for something. The people of Israel had been waiting for thousands of years, hundreds of years, for this Messiah. See, we're waiting too, aren't we? What we know now, this side of the cross, what we know now is that there will be a second appearing of Jesus. And I wonder, how are we doing with the waiting? How are we doing with the waiting? If it was revealed to you that you would not see death, but you would be raptured, you would be brought into the presence of God without death, if, if you were told that, what would you, what would you, how would you react? Simeon was told that he would not see death till he had seen the Messiah. And he came in the spirit to the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the law, he took him up in the arms and blessed God and said. So he came in the spirit to the temple. The spirit led him to the temple. So whatever he was when he was told he would not see death, he, he, he was... He was maybe reading his scriptures, maybe he was meditating, maybe he was praying, but at some point, somehow, some way, the Holy Spirit said, now. <laughs> now? Today? Now? What I've been waiting for? Now? 
And he made his way to the temple and maybe he made his way to the southern steps. Maybe he was walking up the steps and taking each step, reciting the Psalms of Ascent as he went. And each one of those Psalms reminding him of the promises of God and that God is faithful and he made his way up to the Temple Mount, acres. And did he begin to look? What does the Messiah look like? He's never seen him. Does he begin to scan the Temple Mount, looking, maybe looking for an entourage? The consolation of Israel is what he's been waiting for, the comfort of Israel, which means Rome is overthrown, which means the devil's work is destroyed, which means, can you imagine what he was waiting for? In faith. What is it that holds you? What is it that you have faith in? Do you have faith in the promises of God? And does your faith in the promises of God hold you? Does it cause you to seek his word? Does it draw you into his truth so that you can know what he has promised? He has revealed to us truth in his word that we can look into, we can read, we can study, we can know. Simeon knew And Simeon had the Holy Spirit guiding him and leading him. And for each one of us who come to a place where we realize that that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and we've trusted him as our Savior, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us guiding us as we read Scripture, directing us, leading us. Does Does your faith draw you into knowing God more so that you're ready to move When he says now, Simeon was. The hope for the appearing of Jesus is rooted in the past promises of God, it's held in the present, and it's fulfilled in the future. Living in the fulfillment of the promises of God. And that's what happens. He took up the baby in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people of Israel. Stop and think and imagine. This is just, it amazes me to think of the truth That at this moment in time, this most amazing, magnificent, miraculous moment, the future and the present collide in an amazing way as hundreds and thousands of years of prophecy is coming true in a baby. And Simeon looks across the temple courtyard. We don't know where he was on the temple mount. We don't know where they were. But somehow, some way, the Holy Spirit says, them. And he goes. And he takes the baby Jesus in his arms. This is the consolation of Israel. Baby, 
is the consolation of Israel. Simeon takes the baby in his arms. I'm good. Take me. I've seen your salvation, God. I have seen your salvation. You see the fulfillment of the prophecy Simeon is holding in his arms. His hope has been fulfilled because you see, hope is a who. Hope is a who. It's Jesus. He's my hope. He's your hope. He's everyone's hope for comfort. He's the only hope we have that the works of the devil will be destroyed. There is no other way for Satan to be destroyed apart from Jesus. I've seen your salvation. The hope has been fulfilled. His father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Do you think, I often think of Mary and Joseph, how much of this did they grasp and how much of it were they just taking a hold of as they went along? You know, on their way from from Nazareth to Bethlehem, tell me again, what did Gabriel say to you? What did that angel say to you? What did he say to you? Yeah, they match up. I remember when John jumped in his mother's womb, and I, I guess there's something significant going on here. But everything that happens displays for them one more thing of the significance of who this baby is. And what it means that he has come into the world. Death, pain, destruction, war, hate, envy, selfishness, bitterness, greed, anger, rage, destroyed, destroyed. Simeon blessed them and said to to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. The promises of God, rooted in the past, held in the present and fulfilled in the future. What we see here is that a cross looms in the star. A cross looms in the star. And we can see it in our star here. There's a star that that shone above the house where Jesus was and in there, it's hard to see but it's there. There's a cross. And Simeon is speaking to to Mary and saying, a sword will pierce your soul. There is a cross coming. Because you see, to destroy the devil's work, Hebrews 2.14 tells us that through death, Jesus might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, 
and to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Listen, the way that the, way that the Son of God would destroy the devil's work is on the cross. As death was destroyed through the death of Christ. But Jesus doesn't stay dead. This Jesus who's held in Sibian's arm grows, becomes a man, as God becomes a man, and he dies on a cross, and he raises from the dead. And he's seen for 40 days, and he ascends into heaven where he sits at the right hand of God the Father waiting for the Father to say, now. And then he comes back again, amen? You see, there is a second appearing that comes, and it's that hope that holds us because 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says to us, when the perishable puts on the imperishable. This chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is talking about, about this resurrected body. And Paul says, someone will ask, how are the deads raised? With what kind of body do they come? And he says, that's, that's a really crazy question. Listen, what you see cannot go into heaven. It needs to be different. See, this, this body that I have has been ravaged by sin. It's been ravaged by the works of the devil. And it needs to be made new. And the reason Jesus came was to destroy the works of the devil and to destroy the works of the devil in causing sin on the earth, pain, hardship, all of those things, to destroy that, to bring life. But when the perishable puts on the imperishable, when mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass that saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? There comes a day very soon, my friends, when there will be a trumpet and we will be up and out of our graves and those who are alive will meet him in the air and we will be given bodies that are new, immortal, imperishable bodies, unable to, able not to sin and we will be free from the presence of sin. Thank you. What are you hoping for? Are you hoping that your retirement holds out? Are you hoping you last till Social Security? Are you hoping you get a new job? Are you hoping your car doesn't break down? Who cares, really? Right? Jesus is coming again. And he's coming to destroy the works of the devil. And I don't know about you, but I hate the works of the devil. I hate him in my own life and I hate the way that I see it destroys other people. I hate it. And I want to see that destroyed completely. And that's why I look at the hope candle and know that my hope is absolutely sure in the promises of God. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, he says, this Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Amen? And what's that going to look like? Zechariah 14. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northward and the other southward. Listen, when Jesus comes back, not going to be as a baby. He's coming as king. 
And he is the king of kings and lord of lords, and he is going to finish the battle. And he's going to finish it by saying, done. Right? Listen, Satan's works seem like, like he's got this, all this power, but listen, he's got nothing compared to God. And he's got no power that hasn't been given him by God. The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that time when the one who has been tormenting me day and night forever and ever is himself tormented day and night forever and ever. What is your hope in? What are you looking forward to? Listen, you will live forever. And if you know Jesus, you'll be with him forever. If you don't, you'll be separated from him forever. But you will live forever in either a place of eternal presence with him or eternal presence away from him. Your choice. And Jesus is the way. So you come to him and you turn to him and you say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I ask that you'd have this death of Jesus pay the penalty for my sin and, and I exchange my life of sin for your life of righteousness and I ask that you would guide and lead me. And let me join with you in destroying the works of the devil. It's one of the questions I've been asking myself. If the reason the Son of God came was to destroy the works of the devil, and if I know that Jesus is the Son of God, if I've trusted him as my Savior, if his Holy Spirit is in my life, how am I allowing him to destroy the works of the devil in my life? And how am I not having the works of the devil take fruit in my life? I have a choice to no longer offer these parts of my body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather to offer them to God as instruments of righteousness. So what? Have I taken hold of the certain hope that's found in Jesus? And how does it change my life every day? And how are we looking forward to his appearing? Oh God, help us with that. Waiting is so hard. It's been so long, Jesus. 2,000 years ago, you promised you'd come back. Is it today, Jesus? Is today the day? Are we ready if it is? Search us. Father, we've gotten busy about the time we live in. And in some ways that caused us to take our eyes off the time that is to come. The promises that have yet to be fulfilled. So put our eyes ahead, God, please. This Christmas season, remind us of the reason Jesus came because of pain, because of suffering, because of all the works of the devil. And help us grab hold 
and take hold of the hope that's found only in the who of Christmas, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. May I please ask you to stand and hear God's good word for you? Just before I do that, I'd like to enlist your help if you're able to. This weekend, this week are our Advent dinners, and so we turn the the worship center into a, a different form of worship center. And so we need help stacking the chairs. So if you're able to, the chairs go seven high, and you need to be very careful that the legs line up, okay? So if you're able to help, we would be grateful. Okay. And by the way, would you be praying this week for the Advent dinners, especially Thursday and Friday night? We get a lot of people who don't know Jesus who come, and we'd love for them to meet him. Amen? Oh, and by the way, I am seven minutes early. Yeah. I'm saving this. I, I will use it. So there'll be, a, there'll be a service that comes up, and I'll say, remember, you owe me seven minutes. And, Nah, I'm messing with you. But Becky's husband, Rob, his brother passed. Um, and, and so they're there taking care of the funeral. And uh, so in the midst of all of this, if you could be keeping Rob and Becky in your prayers as well. And then Conrad Siren, because Patty passed too. So you know what? Let's just stop for a minute. Lord, I want to bring Patty and Conrad um, Lord, I know where Patty is, so I don't bring her before you because she's there. But Lord, bring Conrad before you. Thank you for him. They just moved a couple of weeks ago for her situation. And so as he looks at all of that, be with him. Thank you that Patty knew Jesus. And for Becky and Rob as they um, process this loss of Don with his family, God, I pray that you'd give them great encouragement as well and great comfort. Father, thank you that we can come to you with this. We pray this in your name. Amen. The last two verses of Scripture for your benediction. Are you ready? He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I release you to a week of work, witness, and worship.